Okay, Thursday, April 1st, if you want to um, help this, uh, this next time at the food kitchen, get with Jane. Uh, if you want to help cook, let her know what, what it is you can do. And if you want to help serve, also let her know. She'd be more than happy to have the help. Amen. The Lord is good. I felt the Lord's presence in this place already. I believe that we are going to see results from the prayers prayed in this place. I believe that. I believe in the power of prayer. Like I've said before, if, if I didn't believe it worked, I would not do it. I wouldn't waste your time or mine. But I believe that prayer works. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew, the 21st chapter. If not, you can look to the screen for your scripture. I've heard a lot of people... Uh, are weary of reading scriptures off the screens because they think, because when you make one of these slides from the Bible app, you can edit it. <laughs> so I encourage you to also read your Bibles too. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can trust me, I'm telling you that, but I'd also look it up too. Paul commended uh, the Bereans because they studied the scriptures. They didn't just take everything he said as gospel truth. They studied for themselves. I encourage you to do the same thing. I don't know why I went that way this morning. <laughs> I promise you that's not in my notes. Don't trust what I say. <laughs> that's really bad preaching advice. <laughs> Never start your sermon with that. Okay. We're talking about prophets and parables um, through Lent. Uh, and once again, I went to my preparation time, um, preparing to preach about a different parable, <laughs> and this is where we are. So, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the scripture. God, I pray that in these next few moments as we look into it, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us, God, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would uh, transform us today, God, that you would uh, transform us by the renewing of our minds, God, that you would, would start a work in our minds and, and, and let us see the world as you see the world, not as we've always seen the world. Let us see others as you see them, not as we've always seen them, and let us live and walk as you walked. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, so to give you the context of this parable, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus has already ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. Jesus has already cleansed the temple. Then Jesus left the temple. Then Jesus curses the fig tree. Then Jesus comes back to the temple and he starts teaching again. By this time, he's made such a, uh, 
He's made so many people mad that they confront him and say, by what authority do you do these things? And then Jesus, as Jesus always does, he answers a question with a question and says, by what authority did John baptize? And they're like, oh, well, we don't know. Uh, we don't. So they talked amongst themselves and thought, well, we can't say, uh, if, we, if we say it wasn't of God, then the people are going to be mad at us because the Pharisees cared a lot about public perception. They cared a lot about how they were viewed. They liked to make a great show. They liked to show off. The Pharisees liked to show off. Well, they, so they didn't answer him. So then Jesus tells this parable about the two sons. The first son, the dad says, hey, go work in the field for me today. And the son's like, not going to happen. It's hot. We've got things to do. He goes to the second son. Hey, go work in the field. Oh, yes, father, whatever thou wishest, I will do whatever you say. And then that son didn't go. The first son, who was reluctant, like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do it. So I want to talk a little bit about these parables today. I want to pull a couple things out of them, and then I'm going to uh, tell a little story from the book of Numbers, and then uh, we're gonna, we'll get out, and you can go home and take a nap, because I know you're all tired after getting up and losing an hour of sleep. <laughs> My first observation is doing the will of the Father working in the father's fields doesn't always sound like a fun time. Doing God's work, doing, living as Christ has called us to live, to walk in the ways of God that are, the, the ways that are unselfish, they do not sound fun. There's a reason that Jesus said, uh, narrow is the way and few there be that find it. Because the way of the Lord doesn't always sound like a good time, if we're being honest. But it's okay to be honest about that. It's okay to be honest. Doing the will of the Father doesn't always sound enticing. John the Baptist worked in God's field, and what happened to him? He got his head chopped off. Paul worked in God's fields. What happened to him? He spent a good part of his life in prison. And then he was also beheaded. Peter spent a lot of time working in God's fields. What happened to Peter? He's crucified upside down. Does not sound like a good time. You might, you might understand why people might be a little reluctant to answer the call to work in God's field. After having seen some of those things, all of the 12, according to... You don't, you don't find all of their deaths in Scripture, but throughout history, we read of their deaths. All of the 12 suffered horrible deaths, save John, uh, save John the Beloved. The rest of them came to bad ends. They worked in the Lord's field. And you might not be crucified upside down, and you might not be beheaded. Hopefully, that doesn't happen to any of you. I'm not wishing that on any of you. I'm not speaking that on you. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. But that might not happen to you. Prayerfully, it will not. But working in the Lord's field and doing the will of God sometimes isn't going to be fun. And we don't sign up to do it because it is fun. You've got a lot of pastors in a lot of churches that say, follow Jesus and your life will be better. 
Put money in my offering plate and your life will be better. Do what, uh, do what I say and your life's going to be better. Come live your best life now. Well, let me tell you, there are times that it feels like that. But there are also times that you think, I don't want to go work in the field today. But you show up anyway. Sometimes you think, I don't want to be kind today. Sometimes you think, I don't want to live by the golden rule today. I don't want to put others above myself today. But you do it anyway. Because it is the most rewarding life. It might not always sound like the most fun, and it's not glorified. They're not going to make a Hollywood movie about you putting others first. (laughs) Unless you wear a cape or hold a big hammer. Unless it's a movie about something that's not real. They don't make true stories usually about people who do that. Sometimes working in the fields of God doesn't always sound like the best time. And it's okay to be honest with God about how you feel. Doing the right thing oftentimes stinks. Sometimes walking with God doesn't seem to be working out. I mean, if you read the Psalms, King David says all the time, why do the heathen rage? Why do evil men prosper? Why is it uh, the owner of Amazon is the richest guy in the world? How come people like Mother Teresa couldn't have that kind of money? How come people like... uh, some of these organizations who feed the hungry, who, who dig wells in places where they don't have water. How come they don't have all that money to do all the good? How come, how come churches that preach uh, putting others first, laying your life down for others, how come they're not the huge churches and the huge ministries? Why is it the prosperity gospel that seems to flourish so much sometimes? Why is it that these things happen sometimes? Why, why, doesn't, why does it seem like Doing good doesn't pay off. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it seems like that. Why is there such an assault on the light? Sometimes working in God's fields, and when I say working in God's fields, I'm not talking about standing up and preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say working in God's fields, I mean walking like Jesus walked. Treating other people the way Jesus treated people. Why is it that walking in God's fields, why is it the living the way Jesus taught us to, living out the Beatitudes? Why is it that being meek sometimes is laughed at and scoffed at? And, And when you talk about turning the other cheek, even in church circles, you're made fun of and mocked. Well, that might have worked for Jesus back then, but that doesn't work today, brother. Why is it that walking with God, the way that Jesus taught us, that's why so many churches don't preach about walking with Jesus or living as Jesus. They talk about just believe that Jesus was the son of God and and that's enough to punch your ticket to heaven and then just live out your life how you feel like you should. No, to to be a Christian is to, to follow hard after the teachings of Jesus and to walk as he walked. And sometimes it's not glorious, and sometimes it doesn't sound like fun. And that's where, that's where the son finds himself. The road sometimes feels long and weary. The sun feels hot and the fields are dry. But you're not alone. 
and your labor is not in vain. I'm here to tell somebody this morning that your labor is not in vain. Those mornings you got up and didn't want to get up, those mornings you did what you know the Lord was asking you to do, those mornings you get up and go to work and you are the light and the salt in those dark places, that labor is not in vain. God sees that. God knows that the labor is not in vain. And you will, as Paul says, your reward, your treasure is being laid up. So it's worth it. I'm telling you, it is worth it. Sometimes it doesn't sound like fun getting up and walking and working in the fields of God, but it is worth it. Hold on, dear saint. You're not alone. Your cries and your prayers have been heard and will be vindicated. This is not the end. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. And if you have been walking in the vineyard of God, the fields of God, living your life as Jesus, loving like Jesus did, sowing into people, then you will reap that reward. And it might not look or feel like you want it to, but it will come to pass. Keep holding on. Man, when I was putting this together, it, it wasn't coming... It wasn't going on my page as depressing as it's coming out of my mouth. But serving God is not a depressing thing, and that's not what I'm trying to get at. But sometimes it is not a fun walk. Sometimes it is easier to do what is not right. Sometimes it is easier to be dishonest and to lie a little bit about things. Sometimes it's easier to take a shortcut. Sometimes it's easier to be a... uh, a father who's not engaged with his children, a man who is too selfish for, to spend time with his wife and his family. I'm just talking about my own experiences. Sometimes it's not easy to do the right things. Sometimes we're like this son, I don't want to. But even if you say, I don't want to, be like the first son and get up and go. Some of you this morning when you woke up for church, you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm tired. Took an hour of my sleep. But you got up and went. You came. All right, so that's the first observation. Sometimes getting up and going and working in God's field does not sound fun. It is not the most exciting, the most enticing way to live. It is the most fulfilling, I'll tell you that. It is the most fulfilling, but it is not sometimes easy to get up for. The second observation from this parable. What you do is more important than what you say. What you do is more important than what you say. I've been going to church for 46 years. This church for 46 years. I've only been self-aware for probably 10 or... No, I mean for about 30 of those years. I have seen a lot of people, met a lot of people, known a lot of people who talked a big talk. Who could talk a big talk? They couldn't walk (laughs) the walk they talked. What you do is more important than what you say and the bravado with, with which you say it in. The promises you make, God, there's there's an old movie I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the movie, but Dom DeLuise is in the water. That's how you know it's old. He's swimming back to shore, and he's, he thinks he's going to drown. And <laughs> he starts making promises to God. Lord, if you let me live, 
If you make it, if I, I will give all my money away and I will give my life to you. And the closer he gets to shore, his commitment keeps fading. Lord, I know I said 100%, but 50% of everything I make is coming to you. And then he's, he gets to where he's, he can almost touch. Lord, 10% of everything I make. And then he finally gets to shore. He's like breathing. He's like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to send a check to the, you know, I can't remember exactly how it goes. But the closer he gets to shore, his promises are real big in the beginning. And sometimes that's how we are with God. We make big promises. But it's more important what we do than what we say. You've known people. I've known people who were going to be the next Billy Graham or John the Baptist if you listen to how they talked. But the commitment wasn't there. What you do is more important than what you say. And it's important to, and let me say this, it is important to, to believe the right things and to say the right things. But what you do is more important than what you say. Uh, the Pharisees were guilty of saying some of the right things, but acting the wrong way. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. He later will save the Pharisees. Everything they do is for people to see. They tie heavy loads around others, but won't lift a finger to do anything about it. What we do is important. It's not about just believing with our minds and confessing with our mouths. Yes, that is important, and that's where it begins. That's where your walk with God begins, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. That's where the walk begins. But from then on, it's important what you do. That's not the end of the road. That's the beginning of the road. That's why James in 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Many say yes with their mouths, but no with their actions. Matthew 7.21, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So not everybody who says Lord with their mouths enter, but those who do the will of the Father enter. It's more important what you do than what you say. Matthew 7.22, uh, 7, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Churches are filled this morning with people who can talk a good talk. There's people this morning who can talk to you about the love of God, but they carry hate in their own hearts. Paul says, if I... Talk, though I talk with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am nothing. What we do matters more than what we say. I personally have been guilty of being both of these sons before. Where I, I begrudgingly do what I feel like God wants me to do. Begrudgingly do the right thing. I begrudgingly am kind. Well, that's not the best attitude. <laughs> The joy of the Lord should be our strength, right? We should walk in joy. We should, we should be joyful people. But it is better to be that first son than the second. Who's like, yes, I'll do whatever you say, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. I'll do whatever. And then 
don't show. Then you're a no-show. All right. I don't know why I was fascinated with these. I am still fascinated with these two sons. And, and something when I was, that I was thinking about this morning, these two sons. What if these two sons are also the same sons from the prodigal story? And if that's true, which is which? I don't know. That's just something to think about. I, I haven't got very far thinking about that. <laughs> but what if they are and which is which? So I'll be, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. You be thinking about it too. When you come to your conclusion, you can talk to me about it. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. It matters. What we say matters more than what we do. Sometimes we're like the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Woe is me. What can save this wretched man that I am? And that's where I find myself lots of times. And that's where we find ourselves. So the first thing from the, from the parables is sometimes the godly life is not the most glamorous or enticing life, but it is the, the only one that will bring you satisfaction and joy and peace. But just know going in. See, I think a lot of people in a lot of churches are being sold the wrong sense of the Christian life. I think we sometimes, and I'm guilty of it myself, of presenting the walk with Jesus and the gospel as this great, 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 it is a great thing, but don't, don't, don't mishear me on that, but as this way to make your life easier now. But talk to anybody who's been a Christian for a long time. Their life is no easier. They just have Jesus walking with them. They just have Jesus there with them. They just have the hope of glory. They just have the hope that someday when they do die, that that is not the end. This Christian life, and, and when we sell it as it's going to be this great life, we sell it that way, then after four or five years of somebody walking that, they start thinking, man, I'm either doing this wrong or this God thing ain't real. And they have a crisis of faith, and sometimes they just walk away. But I'm telling you up front, hey, it is the only fulfilling life to, to live, but sometimes it stinks doing the right thing. Sometimes it's hard walking this Christian walk. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Great. Die. You want to live? Fantastic. Die. You want to follow me? Great. Grab your cross. Let's go. And when he would say grab your cross back then, it was a whole lot different than what we hear. We hear grab your cross. We're like, oh, beautiful cross. No, by the time somebody got to be Jesus age, they had seen hundreds, if not thousands of people die on crosses. The Romans would do it publicly. To scare people. It was a scare tactic. It was a terrorist tactic. They would, they, would, they would crucify people. It was a terrifying thing. People were scared when they saw a cross. People didn't want to end up on one of those. And when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, it was an offensive thing. It wasn't a, let's go have strawberry shortcake. And There's no Disney version to this. There isn't. It's take up your cross and let's go. Let's go change the world. You want to be part of that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the most fulfilling life, and we can change the world with the love of the gospel and with the love of Jesus and with the sacrificing way of the cross, but sometimes it is hard. That's all I'm trying to say. 
So don't let your faith be shaking when life gets hard. When life gets hard, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Don't let that shake your faith. God is with you. He is with you. Okay. All right. I'll try not to depress you anymore. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is the Old Testament reading, actually, in the, um, the lectionary. We're talking about parables and prophets, so the parable for the day was the one I just read. The prophet I'm going to talk to you about is Moses, just a little bit. Numbers 21, 4 through 5. They traveled from Mount Horeb along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. God was making for them manna every day. They were eating food made in heaven, delivered by angels. And they said, We detest this miserable food. They had a lot of guts. <laughs> Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. And put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. That story in and of itself is a very strange story. It's a strange story to think about people, getting, people complaining, getting bit by snakes. Anytime you start complaining about God, you know, start looking around them. They get bit by snakes, venomous snakes. They go to Moses. They're like, hey, we shouldn't have spoke against God. And God says, put a snake on a pole and lift it up. And when people look at it, they'll live. And when they looked at it, they, they, they lived. And this is a very odd story. But Jesus references this very thing in John, the third chapter, John 3, 14 and 15. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What Moses lifted up in the wilderness was a temporary solution for the poisonous venom. But Jesus lifted up on the cross as an eternal solution for sin. Moses would continually have to address sin over and over in these people. But Jesus defeated sin, hell, and death on the cross once and for all. And if we will look at Jesus on the cross, if we will lift Jesus up on the cross, then we can defeat the venom that has infected us. Then we can overcome the sin that has infected us. As Jesus is lifted up and we see Jesus on the cross and we look to him and we believe in him, as he will later say in John 3, 16... That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. See, Moses', Moses cure was temporary. Jesus is eternal. If we look at him and believe in him, then our actions and our deeds will look like his. 
See, if we look at him on the cross and we believe in him and we start there, then our actions and our deeds will catch up to his and we'll start to live like him. And then it, it won't just be about what we say, we'll actually be doing. We'll let our light so shine before men that they will see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. As we look on him and believe in him, our actions and our deeds will look like his and we just might die like he died. But because, of what, what, because he was resurrected, we will someday rise. What he did on the cross and what he did in the grave, the work that he did to Del, Del, Del Griffith, to, <laughs> to hell, death, and the grave <laughs> will carry us through. Amen. Amen. My goodness, I don't know what is the matter with me this morning. Like I have sand in my mouth. You ever feel like that when you're trying to talk? God is good. God is good. Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness to bring a temporary. So, so maybe you're like me and maybe you've been guilty of being both sons. Or maybe you've been guilty of, of confessing Jesus with your mouth, but your deeds don't match up. Well, it's time to look again at the cross. It's time to believe again in the cross. It's time to ask him to help you and to take that venom out of you, that venom of sin that, that wants to pervert your mind and make you do the things like Paul said that you don't want to do. Let's trust in him. I'm going to read to you Ephesians, the second chapter, and then we're going to take communion together. I'll go ahead and ask the band if they want to start working their way back up. Ephesians, the second chapter, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in, G in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are not saved by works that I, I was talking about. We need to live a life of works, but, it, but God has created us to do works. And, and God has already prepared those works for us in advance. So this week, as you leave here, there's good works are going to come your way. Opportunities are going to come your way to be kind, to be good, to be loving, to be Jesus to others. And you can either step into those or you can shun those. But God has already prepared for you this week good works to do. All right, let's finish reading. Sorry. I got preachy there for a minute. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, that's you and I, by those who called themselves the circumcision, 
which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, that's us. We were the ones who were far away. We sometimes like to read that and we think about people out there. But we're the ones who were far away. We're the ones that God reached out to. So, so now when we are, are among those who we consider far away, we must be like God to them, reach out to them, be loving to them. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is what the work that Christ did on the cross for us. I was just going to read a little bit of that, but it is all so good. Christ through the cross has done that in us, and God has prepared good works for us to do. It's not just about what we say, it's about what we do. Sometimes working in the fields of God is not always glorious and glamorous, and the best, uh, or, or we don't always get super excited about it, but working in the fields of God's or living our lives as he did, doing the good deeds that he has already prepared for us. So church, I'm telling you this week, this month, this year, God has deeds, good deeds prepared for you to do. So when they come your way, do them. When the opportunities arise, step into them. Because I'm telling you, I've, I've walked away from them before. I know for a fact there's been times that I've, I've been... I've, can't talk again. I know for a fact there have been times, and now I'm spitting, that I was supposed to do good things and I walked away from them. And what does James tell us? To know to do good and to do it not is sin. So man, this is a little bit of a harsh, harsh message this morning and I didn't really mean for it to come across that way. But sometimes life, the, the, the life lived in Christ, it is a difficult road. It is a narrow road. It's fulfilling, yes, but God has prepared good works and good deeds for us to do. So let's do them. Good works have been prepared in advance for us to do. When opportunities present themselves for you this week, do them. So as we take communion this week, we're going to uh, pray that God will give us opportunities to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we're going to pray that we will step in to those that we will do what is right, that we will fulfill the calling of God upon our lives, that even when it doesn't sound like the most exciting thing, that we will still step into what God has for us. I'm going to ask um, Paul and uh, Walker if they will pass the communion. And as, as they pass and as we sing, let's just reflect 
and ask God to help us to, to live the life and do the deeds that he has asked us to do. You know, I think sometimes we think we're off the hook from, from working for God because we don't preach or we don't sing. But you are not off the hook working for God. God has good deeds for you to do.